Can you thank these guys for leading us in worship today? Woo! Good stuff, good stuff, good stuff. Well, good morning. Uh, Happy New Year. How about that? Let's go. Welcome to 2023, another year on planet Earth. Let's get after it today. All right. Hey, I want to start out today by telling you a story about two things that I hate a whole lot. Candy corn and snakes. All right. So when I was a kid, I used to spend a lot of time at my grandparents' house. And at my grandparents' house, you do grandparents' house things. You know what I'm talking about, grandparents. You get to eat all the snacks. They just say yes to everything. You, you just come home with a jar of Nutella. Like you, you leave with that in your luggage when you leave grandparents' house. And that's kind of what we experienced at our grandparents' house. And this particular time at my grandparents' house, it was close to Halloween, all right? And right around Halloween, for some reason, in their house was candy corn. Now, at that point in my young life, probably around eight or so years old, I actually liked candy corn. And I ate a lot of candy corn that night. A lot of candy corn. And then right before bed, I ate a little bit more candy corn. And then... Grandma goes, kind of lays me down in bed, and I just drift off into that nice, peaceful sleep that only an eight-year-old on candy corn can enter into. (laughs) And I'm laying there in my sleep, and I kind of just feel my pillow start to kind of wiggle and like there's ripples underneath my pillow and I'm laying there on my pillow and it feels like something is is underneath it and there's begins to be this kind of nervousness in me and what I do as they're an eight-year-old is I pick up the pillow and I look under the pillow only to find five six snakes all kind of tangled within each other and I scream at the top of my lungs and I wake up from the nightmare that candy corn caused And I've never had a dream, like maybe you've been there with dreams before, but how how many of you have ever had a dream where you're asleep and you're dreaming about you in the same exact place that you're actually in? It's just one of those weird inception kind of movie dreams that I guess you can only have as a candy corn hopped up on eight-year-old, but that's what I had. It was in the same room, same pillow, same everything, but in my dream, I lifted up that pillow and there under the pillow was a pile of snakes. And I freak out, I scream, it probably took me a couple of hours to go back to bed. I don't know if that was a candy corn or the fear or the nightmares. It was just a lot of getting me back to bed. But from that moment forward, I don't think I ate a whole lot more candy corn, but from that moment forward, I absolutely hated and despised snakes. I think there's really two people, two kinds of people in the world, those who are are normal and those who like snakes. I, I, I just, just have despised them forever. And the older I got and, and later on in life I became a Christian, one of the things I realized is that maybe, just maybe, my hatred of snakes is actually tied to biblical roots. I read the creation account and I realized that it was not a cat or a printer that slithered up to Eve there in the garden, uh, though they are both uh, somewhat evil. It was actually a snake that slithered up to her and began to tempt her to eat from the one thing that God had told them to not eat from. And this snake slithers up to Eve and talks her into disobeying God. And she does, and she gives some to her husband and they disobey God. The same God who told them, if you eat from this tree, you will surely die. You know how some of this story goes, whether you've been in church or not. God shows up and he holds them accountable and he starts doling out his punishment there on Adam and Eve and also the snake who tempted them into the sin. And in Genesis 3.15, he's talking directly to the snake he says, I will put enmity, like make there be conflict between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And then God gives what many scholars believe is the first gospel prophecy of the coming son of man who will defeat sin. And God says, talking about this offspring of the woman, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And I've always loved that passage. Because I believe it pointed forward towards Jesus coming. This moment when Jesus would come, and even though sin had entered into the garden, and the poison that is the sinful flesh had entered into Adam and Eve there in that moment, as their eyes were open and they could see their sinfulness, they could see their brokenness, as that happened there in that moment, the sin curse falls on Adam, and then all human beings, after that, this idea and this truth that Jesus then comes and conquers sin that he becomes a true and greater Adam and defeats sin was one of the things I held on tight as I, as a young man, tried to struggle and fight through sin. And then one day, uh, it was actually November 12th, 2000, 
and 17. A day that I will remember for the rest of my entire life. November 12th, 2017, I was preaching this verse to a congregation in Durham, North Carolina. Romans 16, 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. As I studied that the whole entire week, that was a very eye-opening passage. I could tell that God was stirring my spirit as I was getting ready to prepare to preach this. This reality that there is an active enemy against us and that we actually play a part in his defeat, it gets you fired up. And, and knowing, and this is what I love about this verse, we can all go, okay, yeah, Jesus is the one who beat Satan. That's great, he wins, right? But what I love about this verse is whose feet get to crush him? Ours, yours, mine. And again, what kind of God would win the victory and then say, you get to do the victory dance? That's awesome. And I love that verse because it says he's going to crush Satan under your feet. Now, what I didn't know when I was preaching that that afternoon was that in a few short hours, I was going to get a call that my father had been shot and killed. And so this verse is etched into my soul because it was the day in my life where I felt the true power of an enemy's onslaught and attack on my life. And this verse has been a guiding light through some of the darkest seasons of my life that have proceeded since that event happened. And I've held on to this word right here. In times when I've faced temptation, in times when I've wanted to go make things even on my own, this word that we have a God of peace who will soon crush Satan. The times when I feel like things aren't working at the speed they should be working, when I don't think things are going as fast as they should, the times when I just wish that I didn't have this flesh to deal with because sin seems so overwhelming at times, being reminded that soon, son, soon, son, if I've heard those words, I've heard those words from God more than any words that I've heard. Soon, son, soon. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Now, I heard that verse, and I love that verse. I have that around places at my home. I have a bracelet with that verse on it right now that reminds me of that principle and that truth. And I think what happens sometimes, though, is, is I may be like you. I get so focused on the devil's my enemy, the devil's my enemy, who's, who's, who's who I'm against, who's who I'm against, that I failed to realize how to actually win this battle that I'm in and you're in and we're all in against an active enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy our lives. And between Christmas Eve and today, I had kind of a weird thing happen that I haven't really had to happen in, in like a year's worth of time, which is not really knowing what to preach to you about. All right, if you remember, we've been going through books of the Bible. And so every week, you know what I was getting ready to teach on? Like I knew, it was like, whatever's next in that book of Ephesians, that's what I'm gonna to talk to you about. But this week was kind of a weird week for me because like we're kind of in between time. I was like, well, I don't wanna to talk to him about today, God. What do you want me to talk to him about? And in that in-between time, um, I came across this image and it spurred every thought that I'm gonna share with you today and everything I'm gonna to talk to you about. And I think it was totally God's timing. This, this image, it helped me understand Romans 16, 20 in a way that I never really put two and two together before. Because what you see here in this image is, is a cross, but then there at the foot of the cross, and you can't, maybe you can't really tell, uh, make, can't make this out, but this snake is clearly dead. It's got X's in his eyes. That's what that means. The snake's head is getting crushed under the weight of the cross. And so, to make the connection back to Romans 16, 20, track with me, and I promise I'm going somewhere. You're like, man, this is not your prototypical New Year's message. I'm not your prototypical guy. If you want that guy, you can go find somewhere else. Like we're going, coming out of the gate swinging in 2023. Go back to Romans 16, 20. He says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And when I saw this image, it began to finally connect two and two together. And it made me open my eyes to the fact that maybe I've been more focused on fighting Satan than fighting my own flesh. 
Because if you read scripture, you come across a verse like this. In Luke 9, 23, Jesus is talking to them. And he says, he said to them, and this is them, and you're included in the them now if you want to be a disciple of Christ. He's saying to all of us, you want to be a disciple of Christ. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Take up their cross daily and follow me. So this imagery of the snake being crushed at the cross has allowed two and two to kind of get connected together to I do not crush Satan just by going, I want to just defeat bad enemy Satan guy. The only time when I'm crushing his head under my feet is when on my back is my cross. I don't crush feet. I, I don't, I'm not crushing his head unless I'm carrying my cross. What carrying my cross means is this denying myself, denying themselves what he's after there. When Jesus says these words, he's saying, you are a product of the fall. And if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to deny all those little fleshly things that want you to drink what you want to drink, sleep with who you want to sleep with, think about what you want to think about, eat what you want to eat, do what you want to do. And all those things that are your way of getting what you think is right for you in the right time. You're going to have to deny this flesh that is broken in part of the fall. And you're going to have to take up your cross. And I believe the point he's making and the point that God kind of showed me through being able to see that imagery is that when and only when I take up my cross and deny myself and follow Jesus, those are the moments when I actually begin to crush Satan under my feet by the grace of the Lord Jesus. Because what's happening there is I am actually giving him little to none to work with. Let me explain something to you, and I don't really have time to unpack this in, in full measure today, but I want to try to help you explain something. When you become a Christian, you get three enemies. One of them you already had, one of them you existed in, and one you may not really understood or known. But the Christian has three enemies. The world, that's the, the broken, fallen system that we exist in, where other people are affected by the second enemy that we all have, which is the flesh. This pull and this desire to do things that are outside of the will and the word of God. We all have this existence in this world that is broken and fallen. And you don't have to look around to see that. In a world where people do reckless things, we can, uh, we can continue to know that this world is messed up. And on the inside, we know that we are too. And then perpetrating and, and trying to continue to allow more of that mess to be spread deeper and further as it can is Satan. The third part of the enemy. So we have the world, we have our flesh, and we have Satan. Now what you need to understand about Satan is he cannot make you sin. He doesn't make you do those things. What he does, and this is why I'm saying you give him less to work with when you take up your cross and deny your flesh, Satan knows everything about you. He doesn't have to read your thoughts, he reads your actions, and so he knows what you're thinking. And what he does is he capitalizes on your broken, fallen flesh to get you to bite hook, line, and sinker into the sin that he wants you to fall into. And when you fall into that, your flesh begins to crave that more because you've tasted and seen that it seems good. And so when I take up my cross, when I deny this flesh and I say, no, I'll wait till I'm married. No, I'll not go and look at that anymore. No, I will, even if I have to taste blood for a little while, I will bite my tongue and not say that thing I want to say. What I'm doing there is I'm crucifying my flesh. I'm taking up my cross and following Christ. And because I'm killing my flesh as I carry my cross, I'm giving him less flesh to work with. Parts of my flesh are now numb to the things that he tries to give me. I don't know if, you, sorry to get graphic on New Year's, but you ever eaten something and it given you food poison? You don't go back the same day. Like again, I, I had a nightmare about candy corn at eight and I'm like, I'm done forever. I didn't even throw it up. I just, it gave me nightmares about snakes. I don't like candy corn anymore. It's repulsive. See what? I believe this passage is after is there's this place that you come to when you are dying to your flesh and dying to the sinful cravings that you have to where he is not able to even tempt you with that anymore because now you see how repulsive, gross, sick, and harmful it actually is. And the reason I'm talking to you about this today is because I really do believe that on a New Year's Day, 
coming into a, a time and entering into a place like this, there's, there's many of us here today who we have these desires to see 2023 be a different kind of year than 2022 was. And I want you to understand the connection between your flesh, your spirit, and the life you actually want. There's this passage in the book of Romans that is foundational to understanding this. Paul's writing to the church there in Rome, and he says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Now, what he's not saying is that if you just live according to the flesh, which is, I just do what I want to do. We all know what that feels like. Just do what I want to do. I want to be lazy today. I'm going to be lazy. I, I, I don't want to serve at church. I, I'm not going to serve at church. I don't want to, I'd rather people help me. I don't want to help anybody else. If you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. Now, what he's not talking about is you're just going to die at the end and go to hell. What he's really talking about is you're gonna live a meaningless existence here that is death on earth, slow, numbing, painful death that you don't even realize is death if you live according to the flesh. You're gonna think it's the life. You're gonna think it's gonna be one of those things that they would do an MTV reality show about, but no, that's, it may look like life. It may look like fun, but it's actually death if you live according to the flesh. You're gonna kill yourself working for that job, working for that boss. You're gonna kill yourself living for their approval you think that life is at the end of the tunnel, but it's going to be death if you live according to the flesh. Then he says, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, I want you to see who's not in this verse. In this verse is life and death, and nowhere in this verse is Satan. You living and you dying has nothing really to do with him. You living or you dying has to do with you putting to death your flesh by the Spirit. And again, the, the reason I'm talking to you about this today is because I believe there's a lot of well-meaning people that showed up today thinking about New Year's resolutions, thinking about all the things I wanna do better at this year and how I wanna be good and, and how I wanna do this. I'll, I'll read you like the top 10 uh, New Year's resolutions, the top 10 most common ones. And, and, and again, if you have one of these, I'm not saying you're a bad person. It's a good idea to have goals. It's a good idea to strive for stuff. But I'm gonna hopefully get down to the root of why a lot of our resolutions fail. Here are the top 10. Number one, number one, guys, exercise more. Just exercise, exercise more. All right, that anybody? All right, you don't have to nod or shake your hand or raise your hand unless you want exercise, you can raise both hands a few times. Um, <laughs> all right, number two is lose weight, which I guess that kind of goes hand in hand with, with exercise more. Number three, and I don't agree with this one at all, get organized. Uh, number four is, is learn a new skill or hobby. I can understand that. Uh, number five, again, this is just stupid. Uh, live life to the fullest. Like, what does that even mean? Live life to the fullest. <laughs> like, well, you, your life to the fullest is Netflix and Cheetos. My life to the fullest is skydiving. Like, they're so broad. Like, live life to the fullest. Well, what does that even mean? Number six, spend less and save more money. That's wise, that's a really good idea. Uh, number seven is quit smoking or, or vaping or whatever new thing we've invented. Quit doing that. Number eight is spend more time with family and friends. Another great, great idea. Number nine is travel more. That's a good idea, depending on where you're going. And number 10 is, is to read more. Again, I think that there's nothing wrong necessarily with any of those. Those are good things. But the problem with these Track with me here. The problem with New Year's resolutions, and you've all got your own. The problem with them is they are too positive. They're too positive at first. Here's what I mean. Now, don't get me twisted. I'm the most positive person you'll ever meet. But we have to be realistic optimists. All of these are too positive. Remember, you're not just a person of the world anymore if you're in Christ. See, if we believe the gospel, if we read our Bibles, what we will come to find is that our gospel says that you don't just magically experience good, great things, that you don't just stumble into new life, a new life that is a new, fresh relationship that you strive to have in this year, a new life that is experiencing financial freedom that you want to have this year, a new life where you're not repulsed by the person you see in the mirror anymore, a new life. We don't just stumble into those things and get to experience those because that's what we wanted. That's why most people make it to February and whatever resolution they were after. What we need to understand as people of the word of God, 
is that if you read your Bible, you will understand that Christianity is completely backwards, that there is this divine paradox that exists in Christianity, and it's not that life happens and then you eventually die. So live after you are born, live a really good life, and then death comes at the end. No, Christianity is the exact opposite. You die to self, to flesh, to your hopes, to your dreams, to your plans for your future. You die to every bit of that. And then friend, you actually live forever. It is exact opposite. Our gospel says that if you want good, if you want the good of resurrection Easter Sunday, you've got to go through Good Friday. That if you want resurrection power, you've got to go through crucifixion Calvary. And the problem with all of these grandiose goals that we may set for ourselves is we fail to realize what has to die before we ever get to that thing. We don't see it. We don't understand it. We don't realize that it's out there. And so we get completely depressed and burned out because we never achieved that thing because we thought we were going to have life without death. We thought we were going to have resurrection without crucifixion. What I mean by this is if sexual purity is what you hope is going to come alive, then lust is going to have to die. If financial health is going to come alive, greed is going to have to die. If you want to get into better shape physically, your excuses are going to have to die. If you want your prayer life to come alive, your distractions are going to have to die. If you want your relationships to come alive, your selfishness is going to have to die. If FaceTime with friends and family is going to come alive, screen time is going to have to die. If you want your Bible time to come to life, the time you love to spend in bed is going to have to die. If you want freedom from addiction, your habits are going to have to die. If you want to see your love for others come alive, your racism is going to have to die. If you want your mental health to come alive, your fear is going to have to die. If you want who you are in Christ to come alive, who you are in your flesh must die. Guys, you will not experience resurrection without first experiencing crucifixion. And if you, if if you want, hear hear me, here's here's the big point of the message. If you want 2023 to be the year filled with the most life, it also has to be the year filled with the most death. That's both the great news I can give you and the bad news I can give you. Now track with me here. We can do this. We can do this because we have the spirit of the risen king inside of us. I mean, why are we talking about all this death stuff today? Why are we talking all this killing my flesh and everything else? Friend, it's because right at the blazing center of the story of Christianity is a crucified, murdered Savior. There at the cross, both the power and the penalty of sin is defeated as a man is being murdered. And so we can't just go, well, I don't want to like kill my flesh. That sounds rough. Can I just fellowship? That sounds nice. No. <laughs> There has, and this is like, you read your script, read, read the Bible, read the New Testament. When it comes to killing leftover sin, the Bible isn't nice. It is not peaceful. It is an all out war. There's imagery of armor of God. There's imagery of roaring lions trying to attack you. It is not like there's imagery, biblical imagery around being farmers and being a family and having a prodigal you know, son and father give each other a big bear hug. But when it comes to how the Bible talks about killing our flesh, there's violence involved. It's R. And so my hope in taking you here and walking you through this is to give you encouragement that maybe just maybe 2023 can be the year where, okay, set whatever goals that you have, set whatever resolutions you may want to, but understand that the root of your resolution has got to be you dying to your flesh that you won't be a better husband, spouse, coworker, employee, that you won't be a better church member, that if you want any of those things that make life better, things have to die first. Your flesh, 
So in the remainder of the time that I have left, I want to walk you through, if I could just pick out three passages that explain and help help us understand how to fight and kill this flesh that we have warring against us. I'm going to walk you through these passages. The gospel is bound up in these passages. I pray that you take them, you write stuff down, you underline these things, and you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you in these moments. I'm actually going to press pause on the rant and pray for us that the Holy Spirit would allow his word to be the actual true thing that you hear today and you never ever forget and it changes your heart. So let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you for your word. Thank you that there's power bound up in it. I thank you for the confidence that you're putting inside of the heart of some young warrior today to stand and fight not against other people, but against a flesh that wages war inside of them. Jesus, today I pray for the older saint in the room who's been dealing with this flesh for 83 some odd years. And it's won a lot of battles over 83. But you still are victorious. Give us hope, give us confidence. Allow us all today, Jesus, to step forward into the resurrection power that was made possible by the crucifixion and its power. We love you. Speak to us through your word. We need you, we desperately need you. Show us your truth through your word. We're hopeless without it. In your name, amen. All right, if you've got a Bible, I'd invite you to turn to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter five exactly is where we're gonna be. Paul's talking to a church. Uh, most of the New Testament letters that we have that kind of have an IANS, Philippians, Galatians, Thessalonians, all, all those things are, are Paul, this guy who was an apostle who used to go kill Christians. Uh, Jesus reforms, radically changes his life and sets him out to go plant churches specifically to people who are non-Jewish, Gentile people. And he's writing to this church in Galatia and he's trying to help them understand how to win this war against their flesh. Because when uh, you've experienced this, when you pop out of the waters of baptism, again, nobody's just floating on clouds, you know, and nobody's just good to go in traffic. We're all still on the struggle bus with our flesh, even after we're saved. And so Paul's trying to help them know how to fight this battle, how to win. And he's even trying to help them understand what's going on in the midst of that. He says, but I say, walk by the spirit. Again, this idea of walking, there's this connotation that it's an ongoing thing that there's not gonna be this victory that you're just gonna immediately have. It's gonna be an ongoing, every single day experience. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So what we can kind of deduce from the fact that those two things exist in the same sentence is that just because you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, it does not mean that you will never struggle with the flesh, which should give some of you a deep breath and an ease of confidence Because some of you in this room, you have been wrestling with thoughts as to whether or not you are actually saved because you still struggle with things of the flesh. I'm here to say, the fact that you are struggling and you feel that is the best evidence that I could point you to that the Holy Spirit is working in you, that you have been given it as a down down payment guaranteeing the deposit that you have in God. So here's what I would say. Walk forward in your salvation. Don't doubt it, don't question it. Walk in it with confidence, knowing that 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 is where the power to defeat that sin actually is. He says, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. Desires of the spirit, they're against the flesh. For they are opposed to each other. They're beating up against each other. You feel that, you feel that thing in the inside of you. You're like, I wanna say that. And you're like, I can't say that, I'm saved. I can't. They're beating up against each other. I love this passage. I, I never really understood what was going on right here until this past week. He says, they're opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Now, let's camp out right here. Doing the things you want to do. It's actually talking about both things because once you get, and even people who are not saved, you experience this, you kind of want to be a good person. But in the inside, even before you ever accept Christ, there's still things where you're like, I kind of want to throw a rock through their head, you know? (laughs) And then those things kind of, sometimes they can roll over after you're saved. But what we have warring inside of us, track with me here, what you have warring inside of you is both the desire to gratify, the whole, to, to live in accordance to the Holy Spirit. You've seen the cross. You've seen what Jesus has done for you. You believe the truth about the gospel and you want your life to be a life that looks like Jesus' life, but here on earth in McDonough. But at the same time, you still have this flesh that you wrestle with. And so what's happening here is he says that they're against each other. They're opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So what he's saying here is your flesh and your spirit both have the same goal. 
Your flesh's goal is to get you to do anything but what the spirit wants you to. And the spirit's goal is to get you to do anything but what the flesh wants you to. And that's why you feel this war inside of you. And many of you, I'm gonna, many of you do not need more caffeine. The, the perpetual weariness and soul tired that you feel, the emotional exhaustion that you feel is not a sleep thing. It is a spiritual thing. And it's because this battle is waging inside of your heart and you've never been able to put a finger on it until maybe right now. He goes on in this passage and he says this. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Let's, let's pause for a second right there, okay? Because you read that and you go like, well, what does that mean? Like, I'm not gonna get arrested if I do bad things anymore. What does that mean? Okay, so he's saying, if you're led by the spirit, now that's a capital S. That's the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. If you go back to our whole conversation in Ephesians, he said, we have received a spirit of what? Of adoption. So this spirit now says, you're not under the law anymore. You're in the family now. We don't get whether or not we're good people based off of how well I obey the rules and the regulations. I get, not that I'm a good person. Jesus didn't die on the cross to make you a good person. He didn't die on the cross to make you a nice person. He died on the cross. He gave the spirit of adoption so that you could be a new person brought into a new family. He says, okay, you're not under the law anymore. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident. He's gonna give us kind of a laundry list here. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. All right, let's just pause on these four right here. He's saying, you have these natural desires, twisted sexual desires inside of you in your broken, fallen flesh. He's saying, those desires are not the problem. When you take those desires and you fulfill them in your way and not God's way, that's the problem. The problem is not having a strong sex drive. The problem is letting sex drive all your thoughts, energy, emotion, and your decisions and not surrendering it to Christ. Sensuality, he goes on from there. Idolatry, which really all these are really rooted in. Sorcery, enmity. This is just saying, well, again, uh, this is the, the battle between Fox News and CNN, enmity. This is the battle between red and blue. This is the battle between left wing and right wing, enmity. This is the battle between black, white, brown, whatever race you wanna be. This is enmity. And a lot of times this enmity thing is not, this is the casual and we come into environments like this, it's like, oh, how are you? Okay. But on the inside, it's enmity. It's that little thing where when something kind of goes bad in their life or they kind of lose, we kind of go, oh, that was a win for me. Enmity, strife, jealousy, bits of anger, rivalries, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Like Paul just gets sick of listing all these disgusting things. He's like, and everything else that's kind of like these things. And what he's doing here, you're going to see this pop up in a second when we get to the next passage here. And if you're in your Bible, you can already see that. He's saying, these are the fruit of the flesh. This is what your flesh will lead you to. This is what is the rotten fruit that will grow on your life if you continue to walk in the flesh. Now, let me just be really just candid with you. Make sure that what you're really after in life are the fruit of rooted in the fruit of the spirit. Because if really what you want is just to have this person in your life, notice you and care for you and in this relationship, well, then you've now made that thing God. And even though that's a good thing, even though marriage is a good thing, you've made it idolatry because you said, I can't be satisfied unless I have this thing. Whether it's a spouse, whether it's a kid, whether it's a job, whether it's a truck, whether it's getting into that neighborhood or getting them to notice you or getting forgiveness from somebody who's already dead. Whatever it is, if you're saying, I can't be fulfilled, I can't be happy unless I have that, you've made that thing God. And that's why I said, idolatry is the root of all of these other things. And these are the fruits of the flesh. He says, I warn you as I warned you before. So they're, they're coming up on their second warning here, church in Galatia, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
what this man, and remember, who gets inheritance? Sons and daughters. What he's saying here is if you have not received this, and if you are living in this, and this is what is your primary motivation and drive for your life, if these are things that you are sold out to, the people who are governed by these things in their life, there is no inheritance in the kingdom of God because they are sons and daughters of disobedience like we read about in Ephesians. They have not received the spirit of adoption. When we receive the spirit of adoption, things look a little bit different. He says, but the fruit of the spirit. Again, this is proof positive that we have been adopted because the fruit that comes off of our life is the fruit that we already see in Christ. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He says, against such thing, there is no law. There is no measure like I have to do this much love and this much peace and this much patience and this much. There's no law. He says, when you're walking in the spirit, these things are just gonna flow out of your life. Your life is gonna be an orchard where these fruit bless other people. That's your life now in Christ. He says, and those who belong to the Christ, Jesus, key word here, I love this. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. One of the biggest tools and tips that I can give you when it comes to reading your Bible. Hopefully some of you are saying, the, thing, the book I wanna read, I wanna be a better reader in 2023. The thing I wanna do is I wanna learn how to read the Bible in a way that actually makes sense. Sometimes the best tool I can give you is to actually read the Bible in reverse, not like desires and passions. It's with flesh and that's not gonna make, that's not gonna make any sense. There's no like secret code that you're gonna crack like National Treasure Book or something. Um, what I'm talking about there is maybe reading verses in reverse. So. This idea that he's saying is those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its desires and passions. If you read that and go next, what he's saying here is when you have crucified your flesh, you'll see the fruit of the spirit. And you'll begin to see the list that was above that with the whole orgies and sexual morality and strife and enmity and all that. You'll see those things start dying out. And the reason they do is because you've crucified the flesh to go back to what we talked about at the beginning. That's because you killed those desires as you carried your cross. And as those parts and as those aspects of your flesh died off, Satan had less to work with. Remember, he cannot make you sin. He can only appeal to your flesh and get you to do it. But when that flesh is dead, he has less to work with. The big Christian word for what's happening there is sanctification. The old flesh is being cut off of you and now you're being sanctified, made more and more to the image of Christ where that enmity or that um, immorality used to be there. It's now been replaced with gentleness and thankfulness or love or peace. It's been replaced. And the thing about the fruit of the spirit that you need to understand and know is that Satan cannot tempt the fruit of the spirit in your life into sinning. That doesn't work like that. When you have gospel-rooted peace, he can't get you to worry anymore. When you have gospel-rooted thankfulness, he can't get you to be ungrateful for the things that your other friend got for Christmas that you didn't get because it's spirit fruit, not flesh fruit. Another passage I think is very eye-opening for this is Romans 13. I love how he starts this passage. Romans 13 is close to the end of the book of Romans. And Paul kind of hits this back in. He says, besides this, you know the time, which is kind of like his way of saying, wake up, look around. And at this time in Rome, like we think our society is kind of jacked up. Like if you went back to Rome, you'd be like, man, I want to go back to 2023. It's wild out here in Rome. It was, I'm telling you, we think we had it worse. It's crazy then too. He says, you know the time. And then he says, we know the hours come for you to wake from your sleep. And some of you like, that's your word for 2023. Wake up, wake up. Just wake up, quit playing around, wake up, just wake up, wake up. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we have first believed. And I can tell you unequivocally that that is true today as it was true when he wrote that then. Salvation is nearer than you realize. But the bad news is, if salvation is nearer than you realize, then condemnation is nearer for those who need to realize that who are not in Christ because they go hand in hand. When Jesus comes back, when, when, he, when he comes to, to redeem and to restore this world, he's coming to bring salvation to those who are in, fullness of salvation to those who are in him. But he's also, unfortunately, I, I wish it was another way, but I have to preach you the whole gospel. When he comes back, he brings full salvation to those who are in Christ. To those who are not in Christ, he brings condemnation. 
And friend, I hope and I pray you never have to experience that. And I hope the gospel wakes your soul up so you see what's available in him. The love, the grace, the mercy, the kindness, the real life, the true life that's available in him. He says, the night is far gone and the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on this armor of light. He says, let us walk. Again, it's a walk, guys. It's not like I'm just, this is magically happening. I'm gonna have to take steps into this. It's gonna be a process. It's not gonna happen overnight. It's not gonna happen by osmosis. It is something that's gonna take some time. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies. He gives another list. Not in orgies or drunkenness, not in sexual immorality. I don't think it's any crazy coincidence that when Paul starts his list, he both starts with sexual stuff. That's not just because of the context and the culture that he was dealing with. It's also because he knows that when depravity just starts to unwind, that's where you'll notice it. And we see that in our culture. I don't have to go into grave detail there. You see that. Not in quarreling, jealousy. Everybody wants to argue. Everybody wants to cancel somebody. Everybody's jealous. We get on the jealousy machine, or as we call it, social media. He says, but put on. Okay, so he's saying what you gotta put off. Again, this is like a kill this fruit, harvest this fruit conversation. Again, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make, this is my favorite, this is my word, no provision. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify desires. I love that. Make no provision for the flesh. You may be reading that going like uh, like I was when I first read it. Okay, what does that mean exactly? No provision for the flesh. Here's how I would maybe explain this idea of provision. Provision is thinking about what you will do in the event that something happens. So it's the husband who goes on the business trip and because he watched a show where he saw this happen, this dude went on a business trip and this girl kind of met him at the bar and and this little one night fling happened. And as he was watching that show, he thought, oh man, what would I do if some, you know, something another walked up to me? What would I do? Or I, I watched some show with this lifestyles of the rich and the famous. And I found myself sitting there going, man, I, ooh, what would I do if I had that much money? I'd love to have that much money. What could I do to maybe get close to that much money and have that? It'd be great to have that. I'm beginning to think about what I would do if the situation presented itself to me. He says what happens there is we furnish the fuel then to make it happen. Because I've thought about what would happen if that happened. What happens in our mind is we then begin to add fuel to that fire. So when I am out on that business trip, I won't just stay in my hotel, hotel room and FaceTime my wife and kids. I'll go out to a restaurant and I won't sit in a booth by myself awkwardly. I'll go sit at the bar where I can mingle, network. No provision. Listen, many of us in this room, we have cell phones. The times this past year that you felt the most shame and guilt of the sin in your life, was it tied to thoughts that you had while that was in your hand? Make no provision. You can sit around. I don't think it's a great strategy to defeat sin, but you can sit around and wait Till temptation presents itself to try to muscle up and beat it up, or you can just eliminate it before it happens. All right? You can turn your phone that's smart dumb. It can be a really expensive camera that calls and texts folks and helps you navigate around traffic at McDonough. All right? You can turn the smartphone dumb. You don't have to. To be on, and, and again, if it's ruining your life, if it's feeding your flesh, then you have the onus to say, I'm going to make no provision for this. And the problem comes in right here. Uh, where's your mind at? He says, for to, and this is Roman 8, 6, out of that passage a little bit back up in Romans. He says, for to set the mind on the flesh is death. And, and friends, what I don't want for you in 2023 is another year of slow, numb death. Where's your mindset? If it's set on the flesh, it's death. But if your mind is set on the spirit, you're going to, and don't we all want this? Well, life and peace. 
Just peace, man. I'm tired of the chaos. I'm tired of the crazy. I'm tired of the inner war, the outer war, the war in the house, the war in the church, the war everywhere. I'm tired of it all. I just want some peace. Because life in the spirit, oh, that's it. That's life and peace. Because life in the spirit can have war going on all around and be at peace on the inside. Because it's a peace that the world didn't give and the world cannot take. So a question I'll, I'll take you to, to ask as you navigate this question, the decisions you make in this next year. When you bump into something, whether it's a phone, whether it's a show, whether it's a new opportunity, whether it's a relationship, whatever it may be, ask this question. Does this feed my flesh or starve it? See, this is the hard part about the flesh. It only dies through starvation. Anybody ever tried that whole intermittent fasting thing? All right, anybody just ever skip breakfast and just kind of have a really big appetite like me? Intermittent fast by accident. There's this place in hunger, right? That it really, it kind of hurts. You will experience hunger pains. But, but what you're experiencing there is when it's you starving your eyes, the things that fed your lust, oh, there's gonna be, you're gonna feel like there is no way you could ever resist this temptation. It's gonna feel painful when you do. Your body may actually feel some stuff physically. When you begin to say, no, by the power of the spirit, I will make no provision. You're, you're wondering, how do I fight this flesh? How do I fight this temptation? I, let's make 2023 as simple as we can. Being in the word and being in prayer. There is no greater weapon to fight your flesh than the scripture. There's no greater tool to fight your flesh. I, I, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we were in spiritual warfare. When you begin to pray, church, you enter into the spiritual realm. It's not just you with your eyes closed and your Toyota Camry. You have entered into a spiritual realm where principalities and powers of darkness are fighting against all the powers of life, good, and God. And your prayers begin to be what infuse you with this strength from the Holy Spirit as you walk in him as a dependent child going, I cannot do this battle without your help. Please intercede on my behalf. Begin to ask, her this, ask yourself this question. And asking yourself this question is, is doing one of my favorite verses. Take every thought captive. We just stumble into life. But going, okay. And, and I'm not just talking, don't hear me just being this guy who's like, you know, not letting his kid watch Pokemon cartoons or stuff. Like, I'm talking about the thoughts that you have about your body. I'm talking about the thoughts you have about your hopes and dreams for the future that are negative and where you begin to ruminate on things that may never happen. To even pause in those thoughts and catch those captive and go, hey, is this feeding my flesh or is this starving it? And what do I need to do? Again, if you're gonna starve your flesh, friend, you better feed the spirit. Be in the word of God. That's where that begins to be fed. Better be in prayer. That's where that gets fed. I'm gonna end today. I, I prayed and processed through like, how do, how, do you, how do you end something like this? And um, back to where I began with snakes. Today, I wanna go after one of the biggest snakes I see biting and poisoning more people than any other thing in our culture. It's the same thing that Paul talked about when he gave his list. It has to do with sexual impurity, sexual morality. Specifically, the snake I wanna go after today is pornography. And I don't wanna talk, I'm not gonna stand up here and talk about all the, how bad it is. I've given you stats on how disgusting and terrible it is. But what I wanna do is I wanna give you a chance. I wanna give you an offer at freedom. I wanna give you an offer at letting 2023 be a year where your flesh begins to crave that less. Where you could say 2023 was a year that I actually began to experience victory in that area of my life. And some of you are like, hey, I've already experienced victory there. Praise God, amen, hallelujah for that. Maybe you go, I wanna help somebody experience victory in that area. What I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do the most practical thing I can do to help you in this. There's a book that a guy named Dave Ortland wrote. And the book is actually called The Death of Porn. And outside of prayer to God, 
outside of being in his word and outside of accountability with other people. There, I'm t- I, I would raise my hand, pray to God, swear to God for all of this. There is no greater resource outside of those three things than this book. It's a book that I've read. It's a book that I've shared with many men and women of God, and I cannot recommend it enough. It's a practical tool that helped me receive freedom and continue to fight in freedom. So I don't care if you're a man, I don't care if you're a woman, I don't care if you're young, I don't care if you're old. I wanna put this tool in your hand. And so what I'm gonna ask you to do, if you're brave enough and bold enough to do this, is there's a connect card on the back of every chair in this room. And there's a pin there as well. I'm gonna take out the middleman. I'm gonna even take out the embarrassment of me throwing a stack of books up here on stage and you feel like, oh, let me try to sneak in when nobody's looking and try to whoop, whoop, and stick one in my shirt and walk out so nobody knows that I've been struggling with this, which again, I'll get to that message later on in 2023 about shame and hiding and everything else and, and how sin grows the best in the dark and you're stupid to try to leave it in the dark, but I'm not gonna go there today. What I'm gonna do is you write your name and listen, if you wanna write John Doe or you know, Fanny Smelly or whatever you want to write on the card. I don't care what you write on the thing. Put your name on the card, put your address on the card, and I'm going to mail you this book. I'm going to put it in your mailbox because I want 2023 to be a year where we go after big snakes, where we believe that our God is big enough, that we are willing to put on our cross, deny ourselves, and take steps forward, actually seeing a, uh, seeing a church that is not constantly backpedaling on defense that says, no, 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 no. This is a church full of some men and women of God who are willing to pick up their cross, take some steps forward in offense, and crush Satan under their feet. So take one of those connect cards. All you have to do is write your name on there, your address on there. You don't have to write down anything else. Write those two things on there and then right there in the very back of the room, there are two black boxes. Slide that thing in there. And if you're watching this online, send us a direct message to our Facebook account, our YouTube account, and we will get you on as well. I wanna go after big snakes. I wanna see us crush his head under our feet because that's what the church is supposed to be doing, pushing back the gates of hell one step at a time. As we get ready to turn to communion, say what I've said again. If you want 2023 to be the year where you experience the most life, it has also gotta be the year where you experience the most death. And that's what's so powerful and so beautiful about communion. It's where we as a church gather together every week to see that it is through the crucifixion of Christ that I now can have life. And so as you taste of this wafer that represents his body broken for us, and as you drink of this uh, juice that represents his blood poured out for us, I pray that you experience and are reminded that it is through death that you can have life. And you invite Jesus even now to help you kill your flesh so you can experience life like never before. After you pray and spend some time in communion, we're going to sing a song called Tremble. And I pray it speaks to you. I pray you sing it. Not like it's another song at church, but like it's a battle cry. Like it's what a platoon of soldiers sing as they're getting ready to go out and go to war. Not against each other, not against some outside enemy, not against some other religion, but a war against their flesh. Pray, receive communion. We'll sing to close out our time together. Father God, I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for for speaking to me in the middle of times where I, I don't know what to speak to your people. Thank you for the gospel. And Jesus, it sounds weird to say, but I, I, I do thank you for this battle against the flesh and the things that we learn as we fight, the things that we even learn as we fail. Help us to know that in you, there, there really is no failure. There are learning experiences. There are opportunities to trust more. There's opportunities that, to not pick ourselves back up and to work harder, but there's opportunities to surrender like we've never surrendered before, to beg and plead through prayer like we never have before. And Jesus, I cannot wait to see what a church full of people who are dying to the flesh at a rate like never before looks like in this year to come. Move in the midst of us, Jesus. We desperately need you. In your name.